Welcome to the Forum at Holy Communion, a long-standing conversation about faith, life, justice, arts, culture. Each week, we will premiere a conversation on our channels, and then on the following Sunday, we join in the conversation with Q and A and a chance to engage on the topic. We're so glad you have joined us. Well, welcome uh, to the Forum at Holy Communion. Uh, the Forum this week is an introduction to our candidates for Vestry for 2022. Uh, and I am really grateful on a couple of levels. Uh, I'm grateful to our nominating committee, uh, which put together our list of nominees. Uh, Holy Communion has had a tradition of nominating the number of people for Vestry that we have open slots on Vestry. We don't tend to have contested elections. so. I'm grateful for the nominating committee for putting together such a great group of folks. And I'm especially grateful to you three for saying yes uh, and offering yourselves for service on the vestry. We're really looking forward to the chance to work with you. Um, I'm joined today by all three of our candidates, uh, Maggie Link, Bob Lovis, and Heidi Vocal. Uh, and I thought we'd start by just asking you all to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, how long you've been at Holy Communion, what brought you to the church, and the activities you've been a part of, what keeps you involved, what keeps you busy at Holy Communion so far. So I've been, been kind of careful about making sure that we're going alphabetically through the list as, uh, as I presented the bios and things like that. So I'll start with you, Maggie. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I was trying to figure out how many years I've been at Holy Communion. I don't think I have a good answer for that. Um, so in 2016, my husband and I, well, my now husband and I were married there um, in the midst of Lent and a very hastily planned wedding ceremony. Um, and then for many years, I worked jobs that included Sunday hours. So I didn't really attend any church at all just because I was always at work. Um, and then I would say probably like maybe 2018 or something like that, maybe, I don't know. Um, I kind of tried to start attending regular services, um, but that very quickly turned into pandemic, which then, uh, you know, now I'm a faithful online churchgoer, um, an online and outside person. Uh, but so it's kind of been a little, a little weird, kind of hard trying to pin down that timeline. Um, but, and then as far as kind of what keeps me involved, um, I really, I've tried to be, I've volunteered a couple times for like various different things. Um, like I said, because I kind of have this odd kind of short amount of time that was interrupted by work hours and life. Um, I'm not super involved in any one kind of big committee or group or anything like that. I do attend a small group, um, which I've done for maybe little under a year, I think at this point, but I have tried a few things here and there. I would say most of my kind of church experience comes from growing up at Christchurch Cathedral downtown where I pretty much volunteered or was voluntold to do basically anything. Uh, so I've done everything from altar guild to acolyte to children's choir to trying the regular choir to all kinds of things. So while I don't necessarily have a ton of Holy Communion related church experience, I do have a ton of um, Episcopal Diocese in Missouri, Christchurch Cathedral experience. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that. I'm going to ask everybody about their history, but 
Uh, I do because you you picked on the idea of getting married during Lent. That's not a normal thing to get married during Lent. Do you want to say a word or two about that? Uh, yeah. So it was. Um, long story short, my husband is an immigrant, um, and we were had been together for I don't even remember how many years, maybe like three or four years at that point, and we got to the point of him needing to basically renew his green card paperwork, visa paperwork. And basically it was much easier and potentially faster for us to just go ahead and get married. Um, however, that wasn't actually the case because soon thereafter we had the Trump presidency. And so it took us, uh, you know, about two years to get all of the paperwork through the system when, you know, I had a cousin who was married in September and he and his wife got their paperwork done within about three or four months. Um, so it's a good thing we got married when we did. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of, um, it was, yeah, like I said, a hastily thrown together wedding ceremony, but Mike was great, graceful enough to do it. And it was very nice. And it was 19 degrees and it was, uh, you know, there's ice on the ground. It was good. It's one of my favorite weddings I've ever done. Um, and I will say, you know, it, the only piece on that is we normally don't do weddings during Lent, but in the case of something like an immigration need or somebody deploying with the military or something like that, we'll make exceptions to the rule. And boy, I'm glad because I feel like it's put uh, you and Tim a little bit in the church's debt sometimes. And uh, boy, I lean on that with you both from everything from vestry to getting Tim to play trumpet for us. To, uh, so I feel like the church came out in the on the plus side on that one. But um, really grateful, Maggie. I'm going to move on to Bob, and we'll come back to you on some other questions. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how long you've been around and what's gotten you involved at Holy Communion? Uh, my wife and I started coming uh, shortly after you arrived. I believe it was the middle of 2015. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, as far as, uh, you know, participating in the life of the congregation, I, one of the things I've done recently is do, I've done uh, uh, a food delivery to someone for a number of months uh, during the pandemic and um, spent time with that person, uh, developed a friendship with her. Um, I have um, worked on meals, a breakfast with my wife, Sandra. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a lot of fun, very gratifying. And I was involved in the uh, Christosol uh, visit in 2017. A group of us went there to the global school to learn about human rights work in uh, El Salvador. So I was um, uh, part of that and wrote a story for the local uh, Episcopal um, newspaper about it. And um, Oh, I've chipped in here and there on things. Uh, I did a wrote a prayer for uh, a Martin Luther King service. Um, so, um, and then I've in the past I was heavily involved in another church and had all kinds of roles. I organized softball games. I was a prayer group leader. Uh, pretty much every little task. I was on a search committee for a pastor. So I think I know a little bit about um, um, life in a church, yes. Heidi, how about you? 
Yeah. Um, so me and my husband, Jacob, started coming to Holy Communion right when we first moved to St. Louis, which was about four and a half years ago. Um, and we always joke that we actually found the church we wanted to attend to before we found our apartment. So um, <laughs> we just happened to see Holy Communion on a neighborhood walk on one of the apartments we were checking out. And we popped in. Um, it was during like normal working hours. There was no sermon or anything, but um, we just felt really comfortable there. And um, so we've really enjoyed coming to Holy Communion. We still live in New City, um, even after we bought a house. And so we have been, in, I've been involved with um, helping form a small group um, with a few other folks. And the idea was for us to form that and kind of see how that could play out for other future small groups at Holy Communion. Then the pandemic hit and we all got very close with each other. Um, and yeah, Maggie's part of that group and uh, we did not want to disperse. <laughs> We're just like very connected. Maybe at some point we will try to do that. But um, and then I've also been a part of like a discernment committee for one person at church. Um, and I have also been a part of like it's called housing 2.0 committee that's sort of like an exploratory committee that we just are trying to see local nonprofits um what their take is on like the biggest housing needs in st louis and how holy communion could potentially help out um in the future yeah, and as far was... as like oh go ahead no go ahead Heidi. go ahead i was gonna say as far as like past churches um involvement i in high school i was really involved in like my youth group and i was part of like a pastor search committee as i got older and into college and past college i realized that a lot of the churches i went to they didn't actually allow women in leadership um deacons and elders and things like that so this is actually the first church i've attended thank goodness that allow that um so yeah that's a great thing to have here yeah. So before we dig into um, some of your a little bit more on history and 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 Holy Communion, Heidi, that's a good segue toward that. But I'm going to pause and ask a little bit about what you all do out there in the beyond the church world, uh, and we'll just do the same order. So I'll ask Maggie first. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically, I'm a librarian, kind of, sort of. Um, I work for the Missouri Historical Society, so that's the organization that runs the History Museum in Forest Park, um, Soldiers Memorial downtown, and the building that I work in, which is on Skinkerts, the Library and Research Center. It's actually in um, the old United Hebrew Congregation building, um, so a lot of people know the building but don't know that the History Museum owns it. Um, and that it's actually a library and you can just go in if you want to. <laughs> um, but basically spend most of my days doing um, like kind of helping researchers when they come in with any number of topics. So a lot of house history and building history, a lot of genealogy work, um, and then like anything and everything. You, like there's no end to the odd things that people come in looking for information on. Um, and then I also do a lot of I write a lot of blog posts for our website, um, help with programming, um, do all kinds of like behind the scenes tours when we get asked to do those. Um, I've helped with homeschool days in the past. So a little bit of anything and everything um, 
that I kind of, yeah, that has to do with research. Um, I've been on exhibit teams as well and a couple committees there, um, accessibility committee and then an audio description committee. So um, I actually, in addition to writing audio descriptions for exhibits, they also use my voice. Um, so I record some of them. So if you pick up a microphone in an exhibit, uh, chances are it's my voice describing what you're looking at, um, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's a kind of a mix of things, but I've worked in kind of museums or libraries basically since uh, I graduated from college. So I've worked in a music library, uh, at KDHX, I've worked for the city library system, primarily in North St. Louis, um, and then downtown at Central, worked at, um, you know, a library in Ferguson, I've like really um, all over the city and the county. So I'm pretty, got a pretty good handle on, <laughs> on the goings on of the people, <laughs> um, and kind of what, what kind of services all kinds of libraries provide, so. Yeah, well, and there was one project that you mentioned in your bio that you and I've talked about before, but you got involved in some of the early work around grace gatherings and what we hope will eventually lead to some accessible worship, but didn't, weren't you involved in a sensory space at the History Museum too? Yeah, um, so uh, we had a kind of a more externally focused accessibility committee at the History Museum um, that no longer exists because we kind of met all of our goals. And so there was kind of no need for it anymore, but basically we kind of came up with a, a framework for kind of standard things that should be included in exhibits from like the planning stage. So making sure that there are touchables um, and, you know, making sure that certain um, labels are put in braille, uh, that certain images become like touchable images so that they're raised. Um, also that dealt with making sure that we picked, depending on the content of the exhibit, that we have la labels offered in other languages as well. Mm -hmm. um, we also made, uh, worked with like kind of our volunteers to put together um, kind of standard kind of outline for tours for people who are blind or low vision, like the deaf community or hard of, deaf and hard of hearing communities and then um, like memory loss tours as well. And then we also, like I talked about the audio description did that and then they also were able to put in a small kind of sensory room in the history museum as well. So. Basically, when I was on the committee, those were kind of all of our big lofty goals, and then we got all of them finished, so the committee is cool. no more. Um, but uh, yeah, now it's more of an internally focused thing, but I was pretty, um, pretty. I worked on that pretty regularly um, for the Historical Society for about, I would say, two or three years um, before we kind of completed everything on our checklist and then passed it off to someone else. Cool. And Yours was the first vestry bio I think I have ever read that included a land acknowledgement. Oh. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Um, so that, so I will, I will partly credit it to popular culture and the, yeah. the rise in, uh, you know, a lot of visibility of Native American and indigenous, um, like, creatives. Um, and like showrunners and stuff. Um, but I would also say that that's something that like we have to think about a lot at the Historical Society. Um, mm -hmm. We did a really big exhibit on the kind of Mississippi River um, that came down about a year or so ago. And that one included obviously a lot of overlap with native communities because it kind of tracked starting with like kind of Cahokian society all the way up to kind of modern day trade on the Mississippi. So that's is kind of all like it's just very present um and then we also 
just because of the history of St. Louis and like westward expansion and Lewis and Clark and all such things, it's it's something that we talk about all the time at work um, and that, you know, more and more people want to know about, um, you know, even it just, it pops up in all kinds of odd places and interesting ways where people decide that, you know, they want to include this particular thing in an exhibit or people are interested in, you know, this particular, um, you know, topic or seeing who, you know, what this park was, you know, whose land this park was built on or something. So it's something, like I said, that just pops up more frequently than not. Um, and I kind of like the idea of kind of normalizing the practice of like, just acknowledging that like, you know, regardless of your background, whether, you know, you come from enslaved peoples or people who, you know, willfully immigrated or whatever, it's, you know, important to acknowledge, so. Yeah, so one of our former Holy Communionites who got sent out by one of those discernment committees is Leslie Scoopmeyer, who the Bishop has just appointed our, I think her title is Missioner for Indigenous Community Relations or something, but I think it's the first time we've had one in St. Louis, at least in recent times. So I think there's going to be some opportunity for us to engage in some of those questions in new ways. So I was excited to see that in your bio. Bob, can I move into you? And um, we've, I've even gotten to interview you for one of these forums before about your book of poetry that was published re relatively recently, but talk a little bit about what you do outside of church. Well, um, as you said, I'm a, I'm a poet and I try to devote, my, devote myself pretty much every morning to some form of, of writing, if it's, even if it's just uh, uh, jotting down notes. Um, but that's, uh, I think that's my, my main focus as a writer. I'm a retired, semi-retired journalist. I do occasional stories for magazines. I did a piece on uh, um, the painter who did our- Kelly Lattimore. Uh, Kelly Lattimore of the of, uh, mama fame or notoriety. Yeah. Um, and, um, but that's, that's sort of a, a lesser focus than it had been. I, I retired uh, from uh, full-time journalism in 2017, was primarily a, a reporter in the healthcare world, did some freelance work for, um, for a number of years for local publications. And uh, I, I, as I said, in my bio, some of the most satisfying experiences I had uh, were writing about uh, uh, civil rights uh, issues, uh, white, white supremacists. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, one thing that I spent a lot of time on uh, now is I coordinate a, a high school poetry contest for a group called the St. Louis Poetry Center. I've been a member of that for about um, 25, 26 years. And um, for the last eight or nine, I've coordinated this contest. We get entries from both sides of the river, from private schools, public schools, suburban schools, uh, Catholic schools. Um, we uh, get usually about a, entries from, from about 100 students. And um, I screen the poems and then we send off a uh, finalist to a judge that I recruit and uh, it's a great pleasure. I uh, enjoy being a talent scout. I just love it when I find a, uh, a good, uh, good poet in high school. And uh, uh, 
I, I enjoy uh, some of the correspondence I have with them. I'll, you know, when I see something good, I'll, I'll try to respond in an email about what I liked about the poem. So um, yeah, cultivating new poets, that's been important for me. Um, and one thing that I've gotten in, interested in and practiced is I've been playing the guitar since late 2017. So I'm uh, now enrolled in this program called the School of Rock out in Kirkwood where I am playing songs that I haven't, uh, didn't, I didn't pay attention to 20 years ago by, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Petty, Tom Petty and John Mellencamp and uh, ZZ Grange. And uh, <laughs> so I'm having fun with that, yeah. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that article that you wrote, um, that kind of uh, profile of Kelly Lattimore and uh, Kelly's La icon work got a whole bunch of traction this fall when the copy of our icon mama at Catholic University was stolen twice and a bunch of conservative media were like going and your article just got linked again and again and again um, from very you know, wild kind of sources. So it's kind of, I mean, it's fun. I, I've been feeling kind of like a fly on the wall watching some of your writing and the church stuff and being like, hey, I know that guy. Um, but yeah, that was very cool. Heidi, how about you? What keeps you busy outside of, I mean, you came as a grad student to, originally, right? And it's been fun watching you kind of step into the career. Can you talk a little about what you, what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, so I serve as a trauma therapist because an LCSW can do so many different things. Um, and I work at a local nonprofit here in St. Louis called Healing Action. So I work with survivors of sex trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. Um, and so I do a lot of groups with um, the individuals I work with and mostly individual sessions as well. Um, and that's been incredible. That's like the whole reason I wanted to get my master's in social work was to work with that population. Um, and then we also, our nonprofit houses a coalition um, called Kate Coalition Against Trafficking and Exploitation. And um, I also volunteer for that. I um, help develop uh, Missouri's first um, resource manual for human trafficking survivors. So it's consistently being updated because nonprofits and organizations always are changing, you know, information or new ones are popping up. Um, and we're also working on a standards of care manual for the state of Missouri to work with survivors. So I am just helping edit that a lot. Um, and it's going to be hopefully used like in the Missouri courts um, and distributed out like in a lot of different venues. So that keeps me really busy. Um, and then I just in my free time love to do anything outdoors. I love hiking. I love biking, climbing, all the things. If it's outside, I enjoy it. And especially in the wintertime, it's important for me to get outside. So I like that. And I like to play piano. And since we bought our house, I feel like we have ongoing home projects all the time, which is really fun. We like that. <laughs> well, it's, it's good you live with somebody who has got some contractor in him too. So it's not just as fumbly as when I have to deal with my house. But um, yeah. 
Yeah, we we share some affinity for some same space in Colorado. I remember the first time I met you all, I was like, wait, you worked at Snow Mountain Ranch at the YMCA of the Rockies? That's crazy. I worked at Snow Mountain Ranch at the YMCA of the Rockies. We've been sharing stories about that ever since. But I, I do envy your Instagram, all the outdoor. I, I, it makes me wish I got outside more often. I'm hoping with Silas getting potty trained, I'm hoping that becomes more and more of a possibility. But let's dive a little bit into... Um, background. It's interesting. All three of you come from, and this is the case for just about everybody at Holy Communion. I, I describe our church as maybe one of the churches in the St. Louis area that is not as much of a generational church. We certainly have multiple generational families in the church, but uh, we've got a lot more people that came from other traditions and came from other congregations and things. And you all had pretty active um, backgrounds. Could you describe a little bit about your background? And I'm going to actually have Maggie go last because she and I share being what my grandmother called genetic Episcopalians, uh, not just cradle, but like multiple generations. So Bob, can I ask you a little bit about um, the church that you were a part of before you came to Holy Communion, what that was like and how Holy Communion has been a different space than that? Yeah, um, I um, was in a church, local congregation, Presbyterian uh, from the age of roughly 20 in 1974 or 73 to, I left in 2010. And um, when I said I know a lot about, I know a little about how churches work, I also know uh, how churches don't work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found it to be a very uh, close, loving community uh, in most respects. Um, the, the church was a community. It, it wasn't just Sunday morning. It was through the week. People had relationships outside the church. There were many ministries. There was a, a, there's a shelter for homeless women that was started about uh, 20 years ago. Um, neighborhood outreach, um, low, low income housing. We had a ministry in that. Very much, we had an arts ministry. Um, so I have had many strong relationships there. Yet, um, when I talk about why I left, I, I was part of the problem. Mm. For, for many years, I acquiesced to um, this teaching, false teaching that women cannot be uh, pastors or elders, you know, it, it just struck me as, uh, as the years went on that a woman could be a U.S. senator, she could be a, a pre president of a Fortune 500 company, but in my church, she could not sit on the, the, the among the elders on the session. So, and I acquiesced, I acquiesced to that. I didn't, uh, wasn't a proponent, active proponent, but I just accepted it and let it lay for many years. And I, I um, so my silence was, was part of the problem. And then uh, we had uh, a controversy in our church about gays. Mm. And there were, never was any sort of, uh, hateful overtone to it, but um, the, 
the session basically decided that uh, gays who were not celibate could not take communion. In other words, people who were acting out their, their identity. You could be gay and celibate and have communion. That was all right. But if you were not celibate, uh, you uh, couldn't take communion. And um, they thought that it was a, a loving position. Uh, and I, uh, I supported it. I, I remember the day I stood up at a meeting and said, I support the session. And I, I, I regret that. Um, I, uh, I, apologize, I have apologized to people for, for taking that stand. And, um, um, and of course, now I'm at Holy Communion because I, uh, I, my conscience couldn't let me stay at, at, the, at the old church. I, uh, um, so. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, like I, I, in those questions, I find myself really grateful that, I'm, I'm grateful to the people that came before us in this congregation in particular and in the church at large, because I know that for the Episcopal church, it was a lot of work. Um, you know, I'm, my mom is one of the early generations of women clergy. Um, and I was in one of the first congregations, I grew up in one of the first congregations that uh, celebrated women uh, and hired women as priests. And it, it was not always easy work. It was not always a simple thing. Um, and I was really grateful to have, you know, my own uh, orientation not play a huge role in my ordination process, it definitely could have if I'd come from a different diocese or uh, tried to come even just a few years earlier. But I'm mindful that um, I'm really grateful to the generations ahead of us at Holy Communion and in the Episcopal Church that uh, made their way through those questions. Because uh, uh, we're, and, and the people who are still doing it in certain parts of the country and in certain congregations. So. If yeah. I could add one thing, I, talking about my church background, I do believe that worship is really central to the, to the life of the church and, and, and things flow out of that, whether it's um, marching in the streets or, or art or any kind of vocation, relationships. I think that, um, you know, worship is, is central. And I also believe, um, you know, the unity of the body is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, all voices should be heard. Yeah, yeah. Heidi, how about you? Yeah, um, so I grew up definitely in a more like conservative evangelical um, household. And um, we had, I think there was like a really good foundation there. I mean, I definitely grew up in the church. I think at the time I thought I was a mutt because we went to a lot of different kinds of churches, but really it was like all evangelical wings. Of, so it wasn't so much a mutt, but um, I went to like a lot of non-denominational churches and Southern Baptist churches for the most part. And um, even when I went to college, I went to a small private Christian, very conservative college. Um, and it was around the time I was graduating. And then when I went and did an internship in Bangladesh that things really shifted huge for me. Um, I, a lot of the women that I served with that were like in leadership um, at the aftercare home in Bangladesh were pastors. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that. 
Um, and they were amazing. And I learned so much from them. Um, and I think coming back to my church and kind of explaining what I had seen and what I had experienced there, um, it I didn't get the response I was expecting. And I just couldn't really view American Christianity the same ever again. Um, so I didn't know it at the time, but like the deconstruction process for me hit hard and it was right about the time my husband and I got married. Um, so I never really felt like I left my faith. It was just more really deciding what, um, how, how I was felt like I should worship, what spaces I actually wanted to be a part of, um, what did my faith look like now and in the broader global sense, um, and just seeing a lot of injustices that were being played out in the church. And I totally get what Bob was saying, like I was 100% part of that problem too. So um, I say that I'm more in the reconstruction phase, but actually I'm still deconstructing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of deconstruction going around, um, you know, white supremacy and like my even just being an American and, you know, that process never stops and that's okay. So coming to Holy Communion has been honestly like the ultimate safe space where they celebrate the gray, they celebrate the nuance. And that has just been everything that I didn't even know was possible in a church. Um, I feel like people have really come alongside me. A lot of folks from the 20s and 30s group that had similar backgrounds, um, we've read Rachel held Evans a lot together and she was just like a minister and is still a minister to my soul. Um, mm. And I'm always being challenged in this space, but always like in the most gracious way. So um, it's actually a kind of an incredible opportunity to be nominated for the vestry because one, like, again, women in leadership, that's not a thing that I grew up with. Um, and over the last few years, I've seen it a lot more and I've seen every so many more people that are brought to the table that are not just attending church and being welcomed to church but are actually um being used and being lifted up and being plugged into leadership and mm. so they really practice what they preach and i really appreciate that but yeah very diverse background for sure <laughs> yeah and well and that's before i turn to maggie um i think it's an important piece i mean uh, Vestry is sometimes it's it's easy to recruit a bunch of longtime Episcopalians to the vestry because they, they kind of know what's up. But I love having voices on the vestry that have come from other backgrounds in some ways, because if you stay to Episcopalian, there are things that can you get blinders on, um, even though you don't know it, that as much as there are things that I love about our tradition and I'm grateful about our tradition about how far we've come on certain questions and and the fact that we can identify that we have a long way to go on a lot of other questions. There are other pieces about coming from other faith traditions. Um, and, uh, you know, Bob, your congregation, when you were part of it, was a pretty new congregation when you first joined it, right? You know, it's sort of a church plant trying to do some radical justice stuff in the Jesus people period, you know, and in the midst of having that imagination and having a sense of church that's broader is kind of fun. Uh, and then I'm going to turn to Maggie, who, like me, doesn't have that benefit because she's a multi-generational Episcopalian. But Maggie, could you talk, you talked a little bit about the cathedral growing up. Um, you grew up with my husband, Ellis, in the cathedral. Uh, what's 
been coming to Holy Communion like for you compared to your upbringing? What rhymes and what's different? Um, so I guess to back up just a touch, um, the way that my kind of family ended up at the cathedral was that um, my mother actually grew up at All Saints. Um, and then um, I could be wrong, but I believe that uh, my they left because my grandmother who had gone to seminary actually in the 40s uh, had some disagreements uh, with the people who are running All Saints and then they left. Um, so I'm not exactly sure why, but they ended up at the cathedral instead. Um, and that's where they stayed and I think my mom said that they started there when she started kindergarten um and my mother's been retired almost a decade now so i won't give away her age but that's mm -hmm. it's a long time um but um like growing up it was a lot bigger than it is now um congregation wise like there's just a lot more people than there are now um but that kind of with a few exceptions here and there that kind of is the general trend um but there was always like a lot, a lot happening. Um, and the cathedral itself, along with like Trinity, were both very involved in kind of the early gay rights movements. Um, and also the when the AIDS crisis hit, the cathedral and Trinity as well were really vocal in kind of supporting people who had AIDS and welcoming them um, and, you know, starting support groups for people. Um, they even had a banner made at one point in time that still is at the cathedral um that was that said our church has aids um and there are pictures of me as like a three and four year old that aids walks downtown um so it was very um you know very opposite from what a lot of people experienced growing up especially because those two particular par congregations i guess um were really vocal and very active in those um kind of social justice realms um and then i also grew up when um Michael Allen was still at the cathedral, um, along with his wife, Patricia. <laughs> so I never had an experience where there wasn't a female in some kind of power or kind of kind of visible. Um, yeah, like some sort of visible role of some kind, um, whether it you know, was the fact that my grandmother, while she was not ordained, was really active in the diocese here, as well as um, out of the country in Haiti. Um, and, you know, there are all kinds of other people that I just remember coming and going, um, but that was a pretty integral part of my life. Um, and just all kinds of, I can just think of all kinds of like, looking back on them, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance, which is one of the things I quite enjoyed about the cathedral is that like, when they did it big, it was like, everything was very big. It was like cranked up to like, you know, 11. Anytime there was, you know, a big holiday, like there would be times where I was you know, I can think of times where I was an acolyte where I wasn't even carrying, like, there were no crosses or torches to carry. Like, I was carrying, like, a banner for something else. And I was, like, you know, 15th in line of a procession that probably took 20 minutes. Like, it yeah. was, it was nuts. Um, you know, thinking of times where, you know, like, when Desmond Tutu came, um, for instance, like, my brother and I did do, we were, we were acolytes for that weekend. Um, and that was one of those services where, like, there were probably 50 people in the procession in addition to the choir or something crazy. Um, and it took all day. <laughs> um, but, you know, I grew up with a lot of pomp and circumstance, um, which is kind of rubbed off on me. And in some respects made me kind of, I don't want to say distrusting, but there's something that doesn't quite jive with me about things when they're too casual. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I understand everything has its place and I appreciate 
kind of having the ability to switch between the two. Um, and I do appreciate that about Holy Communion. Um, and that like, there are services where like, if you just want to be like, where they're super chill. Um, but then if you want like, you know, if you want the all out, <laughs> there are the opportunities for that, which I appreciate. Uh, I know it's not for everyone, but that's something that I kind of was also spoiled a bit with, I think, um, because that's a really uncommon thing um, to have, you know, a choir that's full of opera singers and, you know, an organist who grew up playing organ <laughs> and is a, you know, a, a college professor. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it's a different experience. Um, but I think it's, it's given me an appreciation, I think, for traditions. Um, and, you know, I recognize that certain traditions need to evolve. And I think that that's, you know, I'm totally fine with all of that. Um, but I think that it kind of gave me a pretty strong foundation, I guess. And I also have a pretty good idea of like the inner workings of a lot of things um, in ways that I think other people might not have. And then also I will say, you know, is informed by the fact that I am married to someone who is the son of an Anglican uh, vicar in the UK. So it's, yeah. uh, it's all, so I got a lot of insider knowledge. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, you're very, very, very connected to tradition in ways that I, I appreciate though the way you talk about it because it is, I, I think Episcopalians sometimes don't understand how much of a cultural tradition um, we inherit. Um, and, and it really is, you know, how do you, how do you be in a multicultural space when you do have a pretty strong cultural heritage at play in a tradition? And how are ways, what are ways to honor that? What are ways to question problematic parts of that? Um, and what are ways to adapt that so that the beauties of it can continue to, and I, I hope it means a space where we can ask those questions. I think um, I was really grateful. I, I think during the um, pandemic, it, we, we, you talk about liturgy came up a couple times. We had broke all sorts of my rules about the way we do worship for the pandemic because we had to, there was no way to do. But one of the things that kind of blew my mind was getting to hear Maggie sing as TJ played various instruments um, during music yeah. because it was just not something I think I could have talked you into in live worship, um, at, at least initially. And I think it was because of the necessity we were able to do some things that were different that make me wonder about. And so that's that's the last place. And I want to end on the question of when you think about the, you know, you all are signing up for a three year term on the vestry. So in the next three years, what are some of the questions you want to ask? What are some of the things that you hope that we can explore together as church? Um, you know, we're, we're coming hopefully into a new space. And I, I think we're learning about, I, I think a year ago, I'm doing my report this weekend and a year ago, I was talking about being after the pandemic as summer of 2021. And we all know that didn't pan out, but I hope we're coming into a new space, at least with how we live with the virus. And so as you think ahead, what are the, what are the things you're looking forward to with church? What are the questions? What are the programs? What are the things you're hoping for? I'm going to just let this be popcorn. I've been calling on you all, but what comes up for you? I think for me, I um, immediately am thinking of how to bring more uh, people to the table and how to bring people into a place where they're not only welcomed, but they're embraced at Holy Communion and um, making sure that 
many of the um, bigger decisions, long-term decisions that are made are always through the eyes of those that are living at the margins and making sure that it's, um, it's accessible, it's, um, you know, fully in a place where um, they, again, are fully welcomed, that they have, that they always feel like they have a place here at Holy Communion. Um, and really being able to build a safe community. I mean, we, we have done that. Holy Communion is wonderful at that. Um, and can, but continuing to do that and um, having all voices heard. Uh, for me, I think, um, well, it's an obvious uh, learning curve, just um, finding out more about the church and some of the uh, um, behind the scenes, you know, responsibilities that most people don't know about. I think um, I'm curious about how the church will be when we come back from the pandemic and assessing have we have we lost people um, and is there is there a way to uh, reach out to them? Um, I know that for a while we were making phone calls to people. I was part of that, just checking in on them. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I think it'll be important to um, try to connect, keep connecting to people and make sure that, yeah, uh, the coast is clear, you know, come back to worship, come back to the life of the church and uh, we miss you. Uh, I'm, I have a, a special interest in um, uh, the arts and I have an interest in, in young people uh, it's funny to hear me say that. I'm, I guess I'm thinking of teenagers, people in their 20s. But yeah, um, I uh, I want to see um, people turned on to uh, what what the faith is all about and um, the community of believers. And so um, I'll be interested to see how things shake out with you know the youth group and uh the the younger uh demographics yeah um i guess kind of piggybacking on both of those one of the things that kind of um i thought of especially when mike was mentioning the kind of the music that my husband and i provided that was un you know more unusual um and less traditional um is kind of thinking of you know thinking of ways that you can include people that, you know, that reach people that aren't necessarily super religious per se, or super kind of like, kind of that theology on tap model where it was like, you could kind of feel comfortable bringing people to that just because it was, you know, it was just a discussion at the end of the day. You know, some of them were very theology heavy. Some of them were very social justice heavy. Some of them were just straight up about pop culture. Um, mm. And I really appreciate that, especially as someone who like, I, I'm a big like pop culture person and a big proponent of finding deeper meanings um, in kind of things that most people would just brush off as like, you know, oh, that movie was pretty good. Like in my head, some of those movies are like, like you don't understand, like this is like life-changing stuff. Like everyone needs to know. Um, <laughs> but like kind of finding those things um, 
you know, and kind of trying in some capacities to bring those activities back in some way, even if it, even if it's something that, you know, doesn't meet in person and ends up being like a book group where, you know, you do your assignment ahead of time and then you have meet to discuss it. Um, and then also making sure that there is that, I like the diversity of music. Um, you know, I really appreciate the kind of blue Sunday service music um, and how sometimes there's, you know, um, I can't remember which um, service it is. There's one service that's very Anglican heavy. It's very English um, that has a lot of um, that music in it. Um, and then there are, you know, services that, you know, especially during Black History Month that feature a lot of, you know, African-American music or spirituals or music by Black composers. Um, you know, all of those things, I think, add to the larger like diversity as a whole, um, you know, because some places, some churches you go to, you just get the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not that it's necessarily bad or good, but it's always the same. So I kind of like that variety um, and think that that kind of, kind of continuing those types of things just kind of helps things to kind of evolve and progress forward. And even you know, outside of music, just different types of services, you know, like in the summer, there were services where it was really hot outside. So everyone had popsicles, <laughs> like, that was really nice. Like, it was just different, um, you know, or like, you know, services in a car, like, there's like all kinds of different things that I think that like, it would be a shame to like move past the pandemic and forget all of the creative things people had to do during that time period and just go back to like the same old, same old, because <clears throat> that's boring and that's at this point that's not what people are used to anymore yeah. so like you know people are used to having to be a little bit creative or like perhaps a bit uncomfortable or you know a bit outside of the box so I just you know like you know seeing all of that kind of continue and evolve and kind of seeing what does that look like I think would be definitely interesting to kind of keep in mind moving forward yeah and I think that's a great place to to uh, come to an end is this hope that where we're moving to acknowledges what we've been through these last couple of years, but also takes some of the best, most creative spaces and continues to keep an eye on uh, those who are not already well integrated, either who have, um, you know, taken a little bit of a break from church during the pandemic, which totally can understand, or those who have been watching online and staying really at the sidelines um, but finding ways that those voices can be heard and folks who want to be can find community. So I'm really grateful to have the three of you, um, your voices. As a reminder to the whole congregation, um, the vote for Vestry will take place during the annual meeting, which will be entirely on Zoom this year um, for Omicron safety reasons. Uh, so it'll be at nine o'clock in the morning on Sunday, February 13th. Uh, the registration is up at our website, holycommunion.net. Uh, if you don't do the computer, you can call in the church office and leave your phone number with us and your name, and we can call you into the meeting on the phone so you can participate. Uh, but we will have the vestry vote on the 13th of February at nine in the morning, and we look forward to uh, doing that with all of you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and um, we're really looking forward to working with you on the vestry. Thank you. Good hearing from you all.